Welcome to the weekly podcast of Soul Purpose Evangelical Church, located in the city of Middletown, New York. Today's message will be brought to you by my son, Albert Feliciano Jr., affectionately known as AJ. Each week, we stream our live recorded services to encourage, build up, and edify our listening audience. Our aim is to share with you the uncompromised and infallible word of the living God. Our prayer is that today's message will draw you closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And now, here's AJ with today's word. God has been doing awesome things in my life. Just by hearing him clearly and obeying his word. October 9th, I came and, and I preached. Some of you, uh, some of you were here. Um, I preached on Isaiah 6. And... Uh, it was a powerful word. It was awesome. I'm still hearing, you know, even today, people are saying, wow, you know, that, that word, you know, set, it was just on fire. And I praise God for it. But a little later that week, that, you know, after that uh, day that I preached, the Lord woke me up at 3 in the morning. I went to go use the bathroom. It was, it was like 3.30, and I, and I just heard, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And can light and darkness be together? So I began to meditate on the word. And I was like, you know what? You know, this is, that's, a, that's a tough word to hear. But the Lord said, begin to prepare. Begin to prepare a sermon. And then I remember talking to Pastor Shadrach after service when I preached. And he says, take a deep breath. But your next assignment is coming. And I said, okay, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm with it. And as the Lord began to, to speak with me, I said, well, Lord, you know, what, when should I do this? You know, when should I ask? When should I ask to preach? And the Lord said, you're not going to ask. He said, your father's going to ask you to preach. And I said, okay, when? Because <laughs> I want to prepare. <laughs> and the Lord said, don't worry about that. <laughs> Just prepare. It's so funny. This is a testimony because the very next morning, my dad gives me a call, and he says, son, he says, I'm putting together the December calendar, and he says, and I have an opening on a Sunday. <laughs> he had no idea, and I said, well, I said, I already have the sermon, so let's book it. <laughs> so I'm, the reason why I'm saying that is because you have to be obedient to God's word. Whenever he calls you, just obe be obedient and set yourself apart. Um, this is going to be a hard word today. It's not for the faint of heart. So right now, I'm going to have everybody touch your left shoulder. You're going to grab. Pull it across your torso. <laughs> Click in. <laughs> Click in. We're going for a ride. <laughs> like, like Indiana Jones, right? Hold on, lady. We're going for a ride. <laughs> but this is going to be a hard word, so buckle up. But right now, I just want to open up in a word of prayer before I even give the title. Because the, the Lord already prepared me because there was a bunch of things that are going to take place from the time that he gave me the sermon. And I don't want anybody to think that they made it to my sermon from what's going on. See, the Holy Spirit already was talking to me two months ago. A lot has happened in people's lives, personally, at their jobs, spiritually. So right now I just... 
ask everybody to bow your heads and we're going to prepare our hearts. First and foremost right now, I just magnify you, O God. You are on your throne this morning. You are awesome in this place, Lord. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. But Lord, right now, I just pray that everybody would have a contrite heart, that you would begin to break the stone. You would begin to break the stones in their heart, O God, that you would make them have a heart of flesh, that they will receive the word today, that the scales will fall off their eyes, and that they will see that you are God. We thank you, and we give you all the glory, honor, and praise this morning. You deserve it, and we thank you for what you're going to do today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. My sermon is the attributes of a true minister. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 6, and we're going to be reading it in its entirety. It's only 18 verses, so don't trip. We're going to stand for the reading of the word to observe it. And when we have it, say amen. Please stand. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Thank you, Lord. I read in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience and tribulations, in needs and distresses, in stripes and imprisonments, in tumults and labors, in sleeplessness and fasting, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but by you're restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak to you as children. You also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Bilal? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. 
Praise you, Lord. You may be seated. Let's begin by starting the, stating the obvious. If you are a true disciple of Christ, then you are a minister. You are God's plan A, and there is no plan B. Make no mistake, you are an evangelist, a preacher, a teacher. God has called you. You are also called to do greater things than Jesus in the last days. You have been equipped to go and do the works of Jesus Christ. See, in Mark 16, 15, and he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Do you know the gospel this morning? Do you know the word? Have you studied the word for yourself? See, these are questions that we have to begin to ask ourselves. See, will you answer biblical questions that people have? The reason why we're so afraid to evangelize is because the word is not in us. We don't study the word for ourselves. Our excuse is, oh, you know, I don't know what to say. What if they ask me something that I'm not familiar with? But that's just an excuse because you're not studying your word. There's statistics saying that only 2% of the church go out and evangelize. Didn't Christ, isn't that the great commission to go ye there forth and preach the gospel? Why are we staying seated in the house of God? There's nothing wrong with being edified. There's nothing wrong with, with you know, learning, right? Don't forsake the assembling of the saints. But we have to go out. We have to preach the gospel. There's a dying world. There's people that need to hear the word of God. They need to receive the gospel. What about husbands when your wives come and ask you biblical questions and you can't answer? That, that's, a, that's a hard one. Our wives shouldn't have to go to other men, even other pastors, to give them something that you should be teaching them. You're a priest of your house. Act like it. Come on. You have other preachers depositing spiritual seeds in your wife. And then you want to cultivate the land that you didn't plant? I know that's a word for someone. I'm only two bullets in my message. <laughs> so pre prepare. Because this, this was for me first. Praise God. <clears throat> Don't worry because you're going to go and you're not empty-handed. Mark 16, 17 through 18. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Do you believe this this morning? Do you believe what Jesus called us to do? Do you operate on this level? Or are you just a sitting saint? You want to see the miracles, you want to see the sign, but you don't want to be set apart. I'm telling you, church, there's coming a day. Just like Jesus told some of the disciples, you, you, and you, you have to leave. Sons of thunder, you come with me. If Jesus did this to his own disciples that walked with him, then what is he going to say to you? 
And then you want to get mad at the minister when the minister tells you to leave, but he sees that your faith is not here. We want miracles. We want the eyes to come back to the blinds. We want the deaf to hear. But we don't need that, that, that thought. It's a thought that will kill the faith. Even the thought, oh, I mean, if I, if I witness a miracle, I'll believe. Look at Thomas. He was a disciple. He was one of Jesus's. He saw the miracles. And then he couldn't believe that his master came in alive, resurrected. Didn't he say, you knock down this temple and in three days it'll rise again? Do we truly walk in the spirit? These are all questions that we have to begin to ask ourselves, church. God is calling us higher. He's taking us to the next level of glory. But he also expects us to come up, to rise up. He can't set apart what you haven't set apart. You understand? You want him to set you apart, but you haven't set apart time for him. He's calling you to be separate today. The Corinthian church, they thought they were true ministers. We actually give them a nickname, the carnal Corinthians. See, there's brief history, right, with the Apostle Paul when he went to Corinth. If anybody knows me, I love history. The Bible's full of history. It's, it's a history book. Corinth was the most important city in Greece at that time, in Paul's day. Corinth was plagued with idolatry. It was plagued with paganism. It was plagued with a bunch of depravity, wickedness. Until Paul presented the gospel to them. Paul then establishes a church at Corinth by teaching them the word of God. The Bible actually states in Acts 18.11 that Paul was with them for a year and six months. Acts 18.11, and actually Acts chapter 18, you'll get the whole account of what he was doing in Corinth when he was establishing the church. See, the Corinthians believers, they started right because they were taught right. There's a lot of false teachers. We have to guard ourselves from these false teachers. We're being taught false theologies and we're, we're running with it, A, because we don't read our word, we're deceived. And then we're trying to impart and we're trying to teach something that's false. Stay in your word. Read the word for yourself. Don't get mixed up. If someone says something that sounds error, even if it's right, proof check it. Check it. Yes. Check it. Fact check, right? Facebook, fact check, fact check. When they're liars. <laughs> The world is a lie. They're fact-checking a lie. But we can't fact-check the truth. <clears throat> they genuinely wanted to serve God, just like we do. The Corinthians began to get swayed by false teachers when Paul departed to go to Ephesus. The false teachers stirred the people against Paul. They claimed he was unloyal, 
that he was proud, that he was unoppressive, unimpressive in appearance and speech, dishonest and unqualified, <laughs> unqualified to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. <laughs> All these attributes that they were accusing him of are irrelevant. It doesn't matter how you look. It doesn't matter what you sound like. If you speak boldly, if you speak what the Holy Spirit gives you to speak, let God fill your, fill your words. But see, there was a lot of, you know, it was the spirit of jealousy that was going around. And that, that plagues the church today. Yes. It's, it's still, to this day, jealousy is, is, is a big thing in the church that splits the house of God. People are jealous of each other's calls, their gifts, anointings. We have to be weary. We have to, we have to understand that we can't, if, if someone is operating in the spirit, operate with them, pray with them. If you're inspired by them, cling to them. Say, teach me. Don't hate on them. Paul then sends Titus to Corinth, a young pastor. You notice that, a young pastor. Don't discriminate the age. To deal with these difficulties of the seduced people. They were just bound up with lies. Later, Paul finds that they've had a drastic change of heart. And they have become completely carnal. Sexual immorality, right? Including adulterers, fornicators. They were struggling with homosexuality, drunkenness, and all types of fleshly wickedness. Paul now reveals to the Corinthians how a true minister is supposed to look like because of all the false teachings they have heard and they've forgotten the teachings that he imparted in them. In 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as, a, as, a, as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and, having the mere, and, and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Apollos is a deity, a false god. They were claiming that they were part of Apollos. And these were Christians we're talking about. These are not, you know, unbelievers. The Corinthians lost sight on what real ministry was supposed to look like. It's not about status. It's not about fame. It's not about notoriety. True ministry is about denying ourselves. Picking up our cross. But see, many of us need to be reminded of this fact. I feel that the modern day Christians, they just use this. Oh, pick up our cross, pick up our cross. But they don't know what it actually means. It just sounds Christian. So, oh yeah, I'm picking up my cross. Okay. <laughs> I feel that a lot of people today, today are struggling with the same thing the Corinthians were facing. 
You just begin to parallel. As I'm talking about the Corinthians, begin to self-reflect. Matthew 10, 38, 39. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. The paradox of the cross. Paradox, what does that word mean? Something that sounds like a contradiction, but it's actually true. The paradox of the cross. See, Jesus' glorious exaltation as king took place through his suffering and death. God's salvation was Jesus dying for our sins. God's character was the self-giving love. He gave himself for us. I love this word I stumbled on. It's a new cruciform way of living. It's to be an imitator of the cross. To die to self daily. What does cruciform mean? The shape of, of the cross. Your life should be the shape of the cross. It's a cruciform lifestyle. See, the church today needs to understand, understand what picking up your cross actually means. It is not something we say because we're Christian. The cross was used to brutally torture and kill criminals and was overly used to persecute our brothers, Christians, from back then. They were doing it for sport. They were killing and persecuting Christians. It was overly used. It was considered an instrument of shame. Whenever someone died on the cross, they were usually stripped naked, beaten, and crucified. And it was a gruesome death. Our Savior was killed on this cross for you and I. See, picking up our cross means that if we want to represent Christ, we must constantly crucify our flesh. We must do what is right in the sight of God. And not only what makes us feel good, but what makes God pleased with us. Paul teaches us that the Holy Spirit has to guide every minister. We are all ministers of the gospel. So don't think, oh, well, I'm not a minister, so this word doesn't apply to me. No, we are all called to be ministers. We are all to be ministers of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 3. We then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. How can we know who is a true minister? The Holy Spirit has to be evident in everything this person does. In the church and in their personal life. They have to reflect Christ. They have to operate in the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit isn't evident, it's a clear picture who this person is. They're just gratifying their flesh. True Christian leadership 
isn't about self-promotion or status. There's a lot of Christians that are guilty of this. We want the best things. We want, when we come in the room, we want everybody to recognize us. We walk in like if we're kings. Jesus did call us to be kings and priests, but he's the king. There's people that because they've spent multiple years in seminary or school and they get a title before their name, now you have to address them using the title. If you don't use that title, they'll slay you because of all the years that they put in. We can't be so puffed up. Did Jesus say, when you talk to me, you call me the Messiah Jesus? And he could have. Because he wasn't lying. I'm the king. Kings asked him, are you a king? He says, I'm a king, but not from here. <laughs> my kingdom is over in heaven. <laughs> you wouldn't understand my kingdom. We are to be slaves to Christ, slaves to righteousness. Everybody hears the word slaves and they get afraid. <laughs> Romans 6, 18, I'll back it up with scripture. And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. Hey. Ephesians 6, 20, for which, for which I am an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. For those taking notes, those are the scriptures. The goal should be building the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of self. I need to say that again. The goal should be building the kingdom of God and not building the kingdom of self. How many people have you led to Christ this week? What about this month? What about this year? What about last year? <laughs> Years? We've been doing a study. We actually came to close in Joshua Tribe. The last class was the agony of hell. And we go day to day, we got our uh, fire insurance from the Holy Spirit. We're not going to go to hell because we're believers. But there's a multitude and droves and droves of people that are going to end up in a place that doesn't belong to them. See, hell was created for the devil and his angels. Think about it. God designed that place for them, their torture. But you will end up there because you reject the Father. It seems like whenever someone passes away, and it seems like everybody's dying, right? Am I the only one that sees this? Everybody's dying. How many opportunities did they have? Who spoke to them? This is why you need to be radical. Stop worrying about what the world says about you. 
if they only knew where they were going to end up. Imagine going to heaven and the Lord says, you see this person that I put in your path? They're not here. And then you say, why, Lord? Why are you showing me this? Because you didn't speak to them. It's a scary thought. It's a very scary thought. We are reminded that we are not able or not, uh, we are not to accept God's grace in vain. We being flesh can't just accept God for his grace so, we don't, so we're not condemned to hell. We have to accept God in faith and in love so that we can receive the fullness of his mercy, the fullness of his grace toward us. See, I heard this from Pastor Frank Leonetti. He says the same mercy that we're supposed to have on somebody else is the same mercy we don't deserve. Remember the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. That we must be born again. And Nicodemus couldn't understand it. He says, do I have to enter my mother's womb again? I don't understand what you're talking about. That which is of born of flesh is flesh. That which is of born of spirit is spirit. We must be born again. Grace is offered to everyone. But it's only obtained to those who receive Christ. See, the the grace of God is for the believer because we're still going to stumble and sin. We're still going to struggle because we're in a flesh body. But the Holy Spirit has to guide us. The Holy Spirit, he has to be our teacher. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is sharp and it pierces both the preacher and the listener. The word pierced me while I was writing this. I said, Lord, is this what you really want me to speak? This is a hard word. But he says, I gave you the word because I want you to do it first. I want you to receive it first. Then you can impart. A lot of us don't count the cost. This was two months in the making. For this day prepared. Everyone that's here, this is no coincidence. You are here. This word is for you. Don't get distracted. However, I will not, nor ever, or should anyone ever hold back on giving what God tells you to say. See, ministers of God, the word will offend people that they're giving. The truth offends, the truth hurts. I put this slide, right? It's sandpaper. That's how the truth is. It hurts. My uncle always says it. He says truth is way more fun than a lie. Because <laughs> when you lie, you can make up whatever. But if you just tell the truth, and it's, it's a, you know, it's, it is what it is, 
Sometimes that truth hurts. It's painful. But if you ever have spoken from God's word, which is the absolute authority, the only authority, and people get offended, remember, they are not offended at you. But they are cut and offended by God's word. See, oftentimes people cast blame. We're good at that. We cast blame on the ministers, on the preachers, on the pastors, on the prophets. They give you a word and you're like, oh, this guy's a false prophet. But that word was for you. We're so quick to say, oh, this person's a false prophet. This person's a false teacher. But what they're telling you is because you don't want to hear that's why they're false. You're false. See, people are deflecting from the truth of their own conviction. If you are personally offended by God's word, instead of being angry and blaming the minister or the ministry, why not instead reflect on your own heart? A call to repentance. People often deflect to try to camouflage their own sinful lifestyle. To try to maintain an assemblance of being a true minister. When in reality their life is a mess. No fruits of righteousness. But I know scripture says your sin will find you out. The day of of these false teachers and and these false ministers and, and the people that are claiming to be ministers of God. Your sin will find you out. Exposure. God will begin to expose you. For too long, we've, we've, we've kept stuff inside of us. And we, we put on our church outfit on Sunday. And we come in with our robes of righteousness. But you're a wolf in sheep's clothing. And God is calling you out. Your sin will find you out. If the word says it, how prideful do you have to be? Do you understand that? See, a lot of pastors today try so hard to build up the numbers so they can profit from the people. Church has become big business. This is is harsh, but the Lord told me to say it, and I'm going to say it. But there's priests that are really pimps, and they prostitute the church. They prostitute the house of God. The church is their moneymaker. But we don't see in the spirit, so we're coming, paying, paying, giving our tithes and our offerings. And they're like, receive. They're profiting off of you. Imagine that, prostituting the church? All the people, all the droves of people, thousands of people in the house of God. And a third of them are probably going to end up in hell. Because that same Luciferian spirit that deceived a third of the angels is going to deceive a third in that church. He, He did that in glory. 
the devil will come right into the church yes. through access, through portals that you gave him. There's a spiritual realm, and it's realer than, than this. We, be, we have to begin to wake up. Wake up to the spiritual realm. Right? The world, oh, we're woke, we're woke. No, you're not. I bind that new age witchcraft in the name of Jesus Christ. Too many Christians are dabbling in the occult. I, I know this is hard, but it's true. You're dabbling in the occult. You're reading your zodiacs. You have friends that say, oh, yeah, I do tarot cards. The Holy Spirit is just telling me. There's people that are sitting in this house that still practice witchcraft. Knowingly and unknowingly. God is done. God is done with people playing too much. You're tapping into the, the, the spiritual realm illegally. Then you wonder why you're pinned on, in the bed at night. Then you wonder why you're terrorized by thoughts in your mind. This house operates in deliverance. There's some of you today that are going to get deliverance today. See, rather than having a Holy Ghost-filled church that is sensitive to the Spirit of God and obeys God's Word uncompromisingly, they turn away from God's holy standards. Don't worry about small. God does more with small than he does with big. I'll tell you that right now. The churches that are huge that are actually doing the work of the Lord, praise God. There's nothing wrong with God blessing you. Because I believe one day we're going to have a big house. But we start small. Why? Because the foundation has to be laid. The foundation has to be strong to hold up big. You understand? The roots have to be deep to hold up. What does a genuine minister look like? What does genuine ministry look like? There are certain attributes to look for in a minister. 2 Corinthians 6, 4. But in all things we commend ourselves, ministers of God, in much patience, in much tribulations, in needs and distresses. In all things, never stop being a minister of God. I have some fascinating stuff that I found, astonishing. There are 29 attributes or characteristics of a true minister of God. Some are wonderful, but some are also quite difficult to endure. I need you to pay attention to this. These attributes are derived from Paul's writings. If you actually look at 2 Corinthians 6, the title of the letter is The Marks of the Ministry. Here are some of the attributes, the lessons to learn, and the burdens to endure. But let's start with this, the number 29. The number 29 represents mountains. There are 29 
mountains that are mentioned in Scripture. This is awesome. Don't miss this. <laughs> See, mountains in Scripture are always associated with hearing the voice of the Lord. They're always in, uh, associated with hearing God's instructions. Think about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He gave them the assignment. No, we have to go back into the valley. There's work to be done. Think of Moses on Mount Sinai. He heard from the Lord. God gave him the commandments. God wrote the commandments for him. He received. Think about Noah. He lands on Mount Ararat, and that was the end of God's wrath. He landed on top of a mountain. <laughs> Come on. This is awesome. The tallest mountain in the world is Mount Everest, which is 29,029 feet tall. <laughs> God does not miss. <laughs> Look it up, because there's some of you, oh, where'd you get that fact? Look it up. Just Google it. <laughs> 29,029 feet tall. And no one has ever gone all the way to the top. Because that's, it's probably in heaven. <laughs> the reason why this is so important, as true ministers of God, it is easier to obtain than it is to maintain. These attributes and characteristics seem like a mountainous task. Pun intended, right? <laughs> but being led by the Holy Spirit will allow the minister to achieve and to operate in his or her calling. It will also allow them to be sensitive to the voice of the Father's heeding instructions. Amen. Let's look quickly. Don't panic. I'm not doing all 29. There's just some that I want to point out. But let's talk about love. This is the first, this is the first one. This is probably the most important one. If you don't have this, you don't have any of them. It is impossible to be a minister or a disciple without love. Yes. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 2. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become like a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Patience. I, I put the note, be careful what you ask for. Everybody's like, God, give me patience. Then you wonder why you got a flat tire to work. <laughs> Nothing's going right. <laughs> God is testing your patience. You'll be like, God, give me patience now. That's an oxymoron. <laughs> <laughs> James 1, 2 through 4, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Fasting. Lord, redeem, redeem the time, Lord. You guys all right? You following? Because I'm not going to let the time stop what's going on here. Fasting is essential. Every believer has to make fasting a lifestyle. Right. 
This is how we walk in the spirit. How do you kill the flesh? Fast. Jesus says when you fast. Not if you fast, can you fast, should you fast. It says when you fast. This is an attribute. It's part of our walk. Check this out. Matthew 17, 21. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Talking about demons. The NIV version, the non-inspired version is what I call it. (laughs) They took this verse out. (laughs) The non-inspired version. You like that, right? (laughs) They took this verse out because they'll make money off of people that are filled with demons. I I have to go there. This is just, this is not for the faint of heart. This is real. This is a fact. This is a, this is a spiritual thing, not a flesh thing. But we pay doctors to medicate demons. And then you wonder why the demons don't leave. They're a false physician when if you just listen to the great physician, he will set you free. You are bound by the pill. You are bound by the bottle. You are bound by pharmakia. You are bound by drugs. Pharmakia is the Greek word. It's witchcraft. Pharmakia. Pharmacy. Does that sound familiar? You're bound to that little orange bottle. Today, if you want to start operating in faith, when you go home, dump the bottle in the toilet. If you believe and you hear that I was sent by God, then today is the day to be set free and to be delivered. Stop relying on the medication. But if you don't, stay married. Stay married to that. Because in the last days it says that there would be marrying one another. It's not marrying people. It's not being jolly. They're marrying and coming into league with the enemy. And then we want to call it, oh, that's conspiracy theory, brother AJ. That's conspiracies. People aren't demonic. They don't even know what that is. Everything is starting to come out. Exposure, exposure. Look at the whole Balenciaga thing. People are slaves to fashion. They want to have the nicest clothes. But these same people that, are, that you're buying off the brand are in wickedness. Balenciaga, this was a fact that I learned. Balenciaga, it's, it's Latin. And Balenciaga, when you say, oh, Balenciaga, it means do what thou wilt. Do you know what do what thou wilt means? That's the satanic commandment in the satanic Bible. There's only one commandment. Do what thou wilt should be the whole of the law. That's a satanic commandment. That's in the satanic Bible. And you wear that stuff. You wear it. Purity. Guard your testimony with fear and trembling. Remain pure and holy. Be holy because I'm holy, right? That's what the Lord says. You're, you're only holy because he's holy. Proverbs twenty two eleven. He who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. I'm going to start moving. Knowledge, facts, information, the skills acquired by a person, though experience or education, the theoretical or practical understanding of a subject. That's the definition of knowledge. Proverbs 18.15, the heart of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seek knowledge. 
Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. This is usually where we stop. But you got to keep going. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, and I will also forget. He didn't say you. He said your children. That's a generational thing. Those same false teachers are the ones that are saying, oh, Hosea 4.6, you know, (laughs) my people perish for lack of knowledge. Pay the tithe. (laughs) They don't even know where tithing came from. They don't even know, they couldn't even find it in their Bible. That was like this guy, he was teaching, oh, yeah, tithing is a thing of the Old Testament. And Malachi chapter 6, Malachi doesn't have a chapter (laughs) 6. Then you know, it's like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) yeah but people be like oh yeah you know oh he must be right because he studies the word okay long suffering this is the fruit of the spirit one of the fruits of the spirit ministers should bear all fruits of the spirit right Galatians 5 uh, 5, 22-23 but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long suffering kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such there is no law word of truth study the word know it live it second timothy 2:15 be diligent present yourself approved to god a worker who does not need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth power of god we all need the power of god yes. acts 1:8 But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to the salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and then the, the Greek. The provisions, the needs. You will never go ill-equipped. Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The armor of righteousness. Romans 13.12, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let let us put the armor of light. 13.12, got it. Just testing you. You passed the test, right? (laughs) Ephesians 6, 11 through 12. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. God showed me something. This is awesome. The right hand is for, the, for offense. The left hand is for defense. Think of the armor of God, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. How do we fight the enemy? With the word. We hold up the shield of faith, which is able to quench the fiery darts of the evil one. 
Ministers also have burdens they endure. This is not the fun one. But if you're not going through this, then you have to question. Uh-huh. <laughs> Something's wrong. Tribulations, John 16, This was Jesus' words. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Distresses, Psalm 107, 6. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. Stripes, Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. There's going to be, there's coming a time where you're going to get beat for what you believe in, physically, physically and spiritually. This is another one. This is coming soon to a theater near you, right? Imprisonments. Revelations 2, 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested That's the key word. And you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Tumults. Arguments, usually when there's a lot of people involved. Psalm 64, 2. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the rebellion of the workers of iniquity. Labors, Psalm 104.13, he waters the hills from the upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. This is a huge one for ministers. Sleeplessness. <laughs> Me and Pastor, we share that, right? <laughs> I'm going to start calling you at three. I know you're up. <laughs> right, First Samuel 3.10, this is when the Lord began to call Samuel. He says, now Lord come, now the Lord came and stood and called out other times, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears you, Lord. The conclusion of a true minister's resume, 2 Corinthians 6, 8 through 10, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known. As dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Paul is describing to the Corinthians what the world thinks of him and what God thinks of him. How many of us just want to care about what God thinks of us? Why as Christians do we care what people think about us? Hasn't God called us to be separate? Remember, we are all called to be ministers of the gospel. Jesus called us to carry out his mission. To go forth and to preach the gospel. To lay lay hands on the sick and cast out demons. We should all examine ourselves. To see if we're carrying out the task that Jesus commanded of us. 
I say then walk in the Spirit. Do not shame the name of Christ. Ezekiel 36, 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Galatians 5, 25, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. See, today's message is a call to holiness. 2 Corinthians 6, 12 through 16, it says, You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak to you as children. You also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness and lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? That's a demon. Like Beelzebub, it's a demon. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Aren't we all the temples of God? For For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. A question for you today. What is holding you back from your true potential and going all out for God? What is so good that this world has to offer that you will forfeit your internal inheritance? What is gripping your life so much that you will forfeit it all for that high, for that drunkenness, for that one-night stand? All these things that we grip onto in this world that are irrelevant. What is it that's holding you back today, this morning, from going all out? Begin to examine your heart. None of us are perfect. Like Paul says, uh, he's the chief sinner, right? That's how I feel. I'm the chief sinner. Why am I even standing up here? But I know I'm on assignment. Paul says in verse 13 that he speaks to us as children. See, when we don't mature in Christ, we remain infantile. There's some people that have been serving the Lord for 30 years and you're still a babe in Christ. Shame on you. Baby Christians, pablum, that's all they can get. Milk, mush. I praise God in this church, we be eating filet mignon up here. (laughs) And sometimes it's hard to swallow. Sometimes it's not that juicy. But it's still meat. (laughs) uh, Sorry if I overcooked the filet today, brethren. (laughs) What does unequally yoked mean? Yes, this can pertain to relationships, especially as Christians. We should take seriously who we are going to be with. We should not get into any relationship just because of looks, feelings, desires, 
or because the person claims to love you, because your father or mother didn't say it to you, and that's the first person that told you that. Judge the fruit. Look at the tree. We should be able to have Christ at the head of our relationship. We should know that we, we will have someone that will pray us through storms of our, in our life and keep things spiritual at all times. If we are to be married to someone, it is our job to train up and teach and impart the word prior to marriage. You don't get married to now teach the word. You understand? I don't even think I need to expound on that. That's fact. You're not the Holy Spirit. Make sure that there's growth and maturity in the faith first. Light and dark don't mix together. Neither does righteousness and lawlessness. James 3.12, can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. In addition, be careful of friendships as well. This one's big. Being unequally yoked applies to friends as well. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. You don't ever want to hear these words coming from the Lord's mouth. Matthew uh, 7, 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. We should never compromise as believers for the sakes of others or just fitting in. But this is what Christians love to do. Ready for this? Excuses. We come up with the best excuses so we can still be in sin and be in bondage and have no deliverance. See, I could hear it now. The most famous excuses for people that partake in sin and consider themselves servants of the Lord. You ready for this? And you, I know you've heard it. This is the best excuse they got. Jesus himself sat with the sinner. What about the one sheep? They left the, he left the 99. The parable of the lost sheep is a sheep that goes astray. When Jesus went to go get that sheep, he picked it up, put it on his shoulders, and brought it back to the flock. It doesn't say anywhere that he left the 99 and they stood there and he stood with the one sheep and he coddled the sheep and he stayed with the sheep and says, why are you here? No, he picked it up, put it on his shoulders and said, you're coming back. How many of us need to go out and get that family member? The problem is when you go to that family member, you're not filled spiritually. So when you go to them, you get filled with their sin. The demons attach themselves to you. And then you want to tell the pastor, then you want to tell the church, oh, I'm just doing the Lord's work. I'm going, I'm going to help my brethren. But you're, you're the one saying, oh, pass the joint or pass the bottle. You're fellowshipping with them. That's not what the word says. 
See, it wasn't in the world. It was in a backslidden state, that, that, right, the, that, in that parable. Jesus came to rescue the sheep. Another obvious point. This one's huge. Ready for this? This is so easy, a caveman can understand it. <laughs> we are not Jesus. Jesus knew no sin. So when he sat with the sinner, sin could not attach itself to him. Understand? Stop making that an excuse. He knew no sin, so it can't attach itself to him. First Corinthians 5.11. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reveler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. So if the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to say, don't sit with a heathen, then why is your excuse, well, Jesus sat with the heathen? That excuse comes to an end today. For real. God showed me that. Because we love, that's our favorite excuse. Come on. Is that, am I the only one? <laughs> this is not even, this is not in my notes, but I have something else. Ready for this? Let's see. Let's find it. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 10. It says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Don't even partake. You're fellowshipping with the demonic. This one, this is going to hurt. The crazy ex excuse is that we have a special anointing that no one else has. We are so seasoned in the word. We're anointed. Nothing can attach itself to us because we're anointed. My Bible says that Jesus is the only anointed one. Others are giving, given an anointing to do, but Jesus is the anointed one. You see? God gives us the anointing so we can produce for him. God doesn't give you an anointing so you can produce for yourself. You understand? You ready for this? In Ezekiel, the anointed cherub. The anointed cherub. Satan was the anointed cherub. Lucifer. So don't deceive yourself in thinking that you are more gifted and anointing than another. Because the same anointing that was in that throne room was cast out. See, God doesn't care about your anointing. He gave it to you. Satan was anointed to, he was, Lucifer was anointed to be in the throne room of God. He got kicked out with his anointing. Yes. 
with his gift. Romans, right? God's gifts are irrevocable. He was the worshiping angel. He was cast out with music. But see, we deceive ourselves. Satan did not create music. God created music. The music was given to him. God is not impressed with your anointing. Sister Donna, if you want to come up, it's my conclusion. Separation from the world. God is separating us for a time such as this. He is asking us to come out and be separate. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 through 18. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. There's one thing that I wanted to say, because I, I came to this point, but there was another very important point, and I'm coming to a close. But First Chronicles 16.22, touch not my anointed, do my prophets no harm. You have to be careful with what you're saying. See, this, I almost went over this, but Lord, the Holy Spirit was like, nope, you see that? You forgot a point, because this is huge today. Be careful about talking about your pastors. Don't talk about the prophets that God is raising up. Don't talk about any leaders that are in the house of God. Pray for them. If you read after 1 Chronicles 16.22, you'll know the warning. I'm not going to expound on that. This is serious stuff. Touch not my anointed. Do my prophets no harm. Be careful what you say. Guard your lips. Do not love or take part in foolishness, right? I'm going back to where we're separate from the world. God wants to be your father. He wants to be your friend. He calls you sons and daughters. Leviticus 26, 12 through 13. It says, I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright. He broke the yoke. He says, I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. We are to represent Christ on earth. We are carriers of the Holy Spirit. We are the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is hidden because that was for that time. The Ark of the Covenant was meant to carry the Spirit of God. Now we carry the Spirit of God. So we have to begin to act like that. We have to walk in that. It is time to be bold in the spirit. It is time for us to be true ministers. It's time for us to be set apart. Are you a true minister this morning?
It's time for us to level up, church. It's time for a lot of self-reflecting. This is years for the making. Be bold. Be holy. Be separate. It is time for us to be true ministers of the gospel. God bless you all this morning. We are so grateful to God for allowing us the opportunity to share this message with you. Thank you for listening. We want you to know that you are all in our constant prayers. If you have been blessed by today's program, why not consider partnering with us? To make a donation is easy. You can visit us online at www.specchurch.net or you can call us at 845-956-0133. Once again, that's www.specchurch.net or 845-956-0133. We invite you to worship with us one Sunday morning very soon. Thank you again for your prayers and support. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you, and may he be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you.